Are you talking to me? No, I'm talking to you. Because you're listening to America's chattiest podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm smoking ghosts and sucking toes. <laughs> oh, man, I was going to make a toe-sucking joke, too. Hey, man, there's uh, enough toes to go around. <laughs> I'll let you in. I'll let those toes in. I'm Ben Sheets. Let those toes into my mouth. Where's Cleveland? Oh, that's right. Cleveland Cleveland has been struck down once more by the con curse. This motherfucker went to San Diego Comic-Con and when I told him, I said I said Cleveland, that's the liberal bastion of the woke mind virus. But he said no, I got to go. I got to lick these all these toilet seats and sure enough, he contracted the novel coronavirus 19 once again. You know, I think it would really help Cleve's immunity if he slept. Yeah. Period. Sleeping is good. But uh, yeah, Cleve, Cleve has been struck down with COVID once again. So uh, he is sadly not with us and is uh, sadly unable to discuss the, the film we just got back from seeing. Yeah, well, it was funny. He was originally going to see this movie at Comic-Con. He was. But because of the, the writers and actors strike, I think they might have canceled at least the panel. They might have still screened it, but he didn't get a chance to see it, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. We're we're back. We went we went to the movies again finally yes. after after a long drought of uh, not having been to the theaters. We finally went and saw something new again. Uh, something actually worth seeing. Something worth know? seeing. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. We're we're talking about talk to me, the new uh, Australian horror film. Uh, written and directed by the Philippu brothers. Raka who, Raka. Yeah, do you know anything about Raka Raka? I feel like I've seen a couple of their videos. They're big-ish YouTubers. Yeah. I think they... Which I didn't realize day, until recently. Like five or ten years ago, they did like a a Street Fighter fan film type oh, of thing. Okay. That, was, that popped off a bit. But yeah, I, I have very little knowledge. Yeah, I don't really know anything about them. Um, I didn't realize they were YouTubers until relatively recently. Um, Wild, this is becoming the year of the of the YouTubers to uh, feature length horror film uh, directors. Yeah, uh, with the the Philippu brothers and of course uh, Skinnamarink and Kyle Edward Ball. Yeah, so uh, this is their feature length directorial debut, um, and you know what? I thought it was pretty good. I really liked it. I thought it was one of the most genuinely frightening uh, possession movies we've gotten in years. Yeah. Yeah, it felt it felt like a fresh take on possession. Yeah, on, yeah. It, on demonic it, it, possession it's, and it's ghosts. It's funny, we were talking about this exact thing on the Pope's Exorcist episode where, like, the fatal flaw of the exorcism possession movie is, like, they stick so closely to the tropes. Where, like, this one kind of mixes it up. I will say it does fall into the generic tropes of modern prestige horror yeah. of, you know, being about 
trauma and family and grief. Yeah, yeah, it it does it does that. Um, well, this is uh, an A twenty four produced and distributed yes. film. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is definitely uh, you know in the same kind of of camp as what you would have come to expect for you know the elevated A24 indie horror. Um and yeah, it does it does get a little bit tropey at times, but yeah, I was I was pretty surprised at how like fresh a lot of this movie felt. This, this is like zoomer horror. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I was I was kind of struck by I I don't think the 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 Philippu brothers are I think they're around our age, maybe a little bit yeah. younger, but um, so often in horror, and we've talked about many, many times, is that like that thing where like middle-aged white dudes are like writing kids, and mm-hmm. like it's obvious, and this feels a lot more genuine. <laughs> I think this feels this feels a lot more like actually connected to like the younger generation the writing of the teenagers reminded me a lot of like it follows yeah um i feel like this film definitely pulls a lot of inspirations from that movie both in kind of style references as well as kind of using teenagers in a way that feels authentic without like like you said, like being middle-aged man writing yeah. for kids, hello fellow children type and, of thing. And without being pandering to. Yes. Without being pandering and also without being alienating to older generations as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the teens in this uh, basically do like zero pop culture references, which I think... <laughs> Is for the film's benefit. It's going to make this film age so much better. Yes. So much better. Like, everything, like, it still feels, like, very in the world of, like, teens. Sure. But without dating itself too specifically, I think early on one of the characters mentioned Snapchat, but, like, that's been around for forever, you know, that's well enough, like, cemented in culture that, like, you can casually reference it, like, Facebook or Twitter, yeah. without it feeling well dated. Well, <laughs> let's not open that bag of worms. Yeah, Twitter I will say, yeah, like, now, but... Snapchat has lost its ubiquitousness, I guess, but yeah. it is still used by a lot of teenagers. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't use Snapchat anymore, but also, like, we are no longer like the young generation. Yes, <laughs> like correct. we are, we are getting old. We are, you know, we yeah. are almost 30 now. So like we are, this, this is a, you know, a generation behind us even, but you know, again, like I, I think that like it being accessible for older people too is, is something that I really appreciate. And I just, I mean that specifically in the sense is like sitting to the left of me was like an elderly couple. They like brought their blankets in and everything. And the whole time they were like whispering to each other about what they thought was going to happen. And like, that's the kind of thing that normally I think would irritate me, but just like having this, this old couple with their little blankets, like sitting in the seats next to us being like, Oh yeah, I think that character's, I don't, I think he's like, 
I think he's possessed or whatever. And just like talking to each other. I thought that was really sweet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like this movie has the potential to be like a cult classic. I, I It's such a crowd pleasing movie mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I say that in like the most positive way. Um, I feel like it's not going to get the box office that like I would hope it would get. And like the widespread eyes on it just because it's counter programming for Oppenheimer and Barbie. Yes. They're doing gangbusters. So that being it might said be forgotten a little bit. It's but... not it's not really competing against any other horror films right that's now. That's true. That's true. The only other the only other like quote unquote horror film that's out right now is The Haunted Mansion, which you and I were talking about as we were walking <laughs> into the theater. This seems like a really strange time to release that movie yeah, well, i put it out in july yeah in july at the same time as like this huge like film event barbie and oppenheimer yeah. you know i hope this movie does well you know we'll see yeah. um there's a lot of new like horror movies coming out in the coming weeks so uh i think it maybe was wise to put it ahead of all of that then so it doesn't get lost in everything yeah. but um I I do think, too, that it's, like, it's grounded enough that it will maybe also be able to avoid some of that sort of, like, hoity-toity stigma that, like, A24 and Elevated Horror has started to to accumulate a little bit. I think back to, like, Hereditary, which is a movie I absolutely love. Yeah, same. But a couple years ago, I showed it to my my dad because he wanted to watch a horror movie and he was left just kind of bored by it you know because it is a very slow paced movie where it's a sense of dread and things slowly get worse where this it has genuine horror moments i won't say jump scares necessarily because i think they're better done than that yeah like it has consistent set pieces throughout the course of the movie which kind of keeps it exciting throughout yeah it's it's more immediate yeah. i think um and and it does a good job of like pacing that stuff out um well now that we've danced around a little bit let's start getting into some some specifics let's talk sure. about what the movie's about let's give a little plot lay down um so our protagonist is uh, a young teenage girl mia um, whose mother has died recently, uh, within, I think, two years prior to the start of the film. Um, and it's her, you know, right when the movie starts, it's her mom's Remembrance Day. So she's feeling kind of glum um, and depressed, and, you know, she's felt very alone since her mom died. She's kind of distant with her dad, uh, and she has kind of been pseudo adopted by her friend's family like like not literally but they've sort of welcomed her into their home and their lives and um and and she very clearly feels more at home with them than she does at her own home um and so she and her friends and the friend's younger brother go to a party uh where they are uh, doing spooky stuff with a ceramic hand. I, I was, I was gonna say like where they're doing like a like seances, which I yeah. guess 
technically they are, kind of. but that uh, sounds rituals. yeah. I mean, it is technically a seance, but I think that there's in in terms of like the language of cinema, there's something very specific that you think of when you think of a seance as like people sitting around a table in a dark room, maybe with a Ouija board, like holding hands, being like, "Oh, spirit, speak to us," and then something in the room moves or falls over, and it's like. It's very much not that. Yeah. Um, which is one of the things that I like so much about the movie. Yeah. And I one thing that I really like about the whole premise of having the ceramic hand, the the rules are very clearly laid out um, in a very confident way where they're yeah. like, here is what happens, here is what the ritual is. You know, we're not going to play it off with any sort of skepticism. We are going to have the characters accept this and, you know, go for it. Yeah. You know, like, it's first introduced, like, they're sharing around videos of people being possessed, like, Snapchat videos and right. stuff. And, like, there is a little skepticism there, but they're still willing to do it, you know? Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're of course, like, oh, you know, they're obviously just faking these videos, blah, 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 whatever. It's just like a, it's like a TikTok trend or whatever, yeah. right? But once they experience it for themselves, it's basically just, like, everybody who experiences it for themselves is, like, immediately willing to believe it because it is, like, the proof is so undeniable. It's developed, like... Like, again, like, kind of like a TikTok challenge kind of thing to it. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to this party tonight because they're doing the hand tonight. And I really want to go. I want to do the hand. And so it has, like, uh, like this sort of, like, cultural uh, hook in, like, these, these, like, younger kids. But, again, something that is, like, so disconnected from, like, older generations and stuff that it's, like, it does feel like it's contained within its own world sort of yeah you know what i mean i mean in the movie it feels like a clear surrogate for like drug use yes um 100 um the way you know it's talked about quietly and in secret and almost yeah almost heavy-handedly at yes, times but yeah. yeah but that that being said i that is one of my favorite things about this movie is like the idea of doing hits of demonic possession as, like, a drug, sort of. Yeah. And something that, like, everybody passes around and, like, laughs about, but that has this same kind of, like, intoxicating effect that, like, gets you kind of hooked on it and you want to keep going back for more. Like, I think that idea is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the more disturbing elements of the movie is, mm -hmm. like, this idea that these, you know demonic possession sort of things are intoxicating and in you know addictive to these yeah. people um they're they're very alluring you know even though like the first time we actually see it happen may is you know goes to this party mm. and she does it and she says you know she puts her hand uh in the in the ceramic hand and says talk to me and sees just this creepy, bloated, like, corpse of a a demon man. Yeah. You know, it looks like a, 
uh, a corpse that you know was left in a lake or something because mm-hmm. it's it's bubbling around and gurgling. It's it's set up as like this hand you know invokes like just horrifying yeah presences but despite that they can't help themselves from keeping you know yeah. doing it over and over again well yeah to to get a little bit more specific about what the the ritual and the rules are as they are explained to us yeah so there's this ceramic hand um that they claim uh has the real embalmed hand of like a, a dead medium inside of it but i like i like how they've it's you know covered in graffiti it's like whenever you do the handle you'll like sign your name on it or something it's like yeah you grip the hand they light a candle to open the door as they say and you say talk to me and then you'll immediately see a spirit in front of you and only the person who's touching the hand can see it but then you say let me in and the spirit possesses you, and then the other kids will start a timer. They say no more than 90 seconds, because if they hold on longer than 90 seconds, the spirits are going to want to stay, and you're not going to be able to get rid of them. Um, I, I really like the timing element of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me a bit of Flatliners. I don't know if you've ever seen Flatliners from the 90s. I have not. I do remember when they did the the remake back in, like, the mid-20-teens. Yeah. Well, the whole premise of Flatliners is, like, a group of, like, med students, like, induce uh, death on each other and then revive each other. Right. Like, it's that same sort of thing where they time each other out on how long they can go before they're brought back. And it's like, um, oh, they cross over to the other side and they bring something back with them. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is which is definitely a, a trope in and of itself. But yeah, when the first time that, you know, Mia does this and and she is possessed for a little bit, like it, it gets kind of creepy and weird while she's possessed, the spirit like points to like the little the little brother, Riley, her friend's little brother. Um, and, you know, is like, I like you, and then starts just, like, screaming, run, 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 and they're like, okay, like, we're 83 seconds, like, get the hand away from her, and it's like, they, they wrestle with it, and they can't get away from her, and she goes over 90 by just, like, a few seconds before they finally get it away. Well, and this is something that is pretty recurring throughout the movie, is, like, it is hard to get people to let go of the hand. Yeah. You know, almost every time they do the possession, people have to be pried off the hand. Right. Not only that, but they have to, they, they light a candle before it goes and they have to blow it out to yep. close the door, so to speak. Light the candle to open the door, blow it out to close the door. So yeah, those are those are our very clear rules that were given. And, uh, you know, the rules are almost immediately broken by her going just over 90 seconds. And it's like, oh, well, it was, you know, it was just a few seconds. So, like, maybe maybe nothing is wrong, you know. And we do kind of think that for a while because, like, the film sort of goes in a different direction. But, um, you know, those those few seconds do end up mattering quite a bit. But, yeah, so they become kind of, like, 
hooked on this, you know, like a drug. You know, they 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 took their they took their first hit of weed and they're like, man, now I want to get high every weekend. <laughs> and took four lines of marijuana. I died in, in yeah in my arms. What if you could? What if you could fucking? What if you could smoke ghosts? <laughs> um but so they're yeah like so like the next weekend they're like oh we want to we want to do it again it's like now the the friend's boyfriend wants to try it like oh so will you like bring it over to our house for a little while um you know so we can do it and they're like okay fine um and i i like that scene a lot because like for a little while they turn it into like sort of a stoner comedy like montage you know that like that where you're, you you would normally see like the stoners like sitting on the couch and passing the joint around and like getting high and like the music's playing and they're all laughing and and it's all like fun and goofy it's like they do that same thing but for them like taking turns being possessed basically well, the, the <laughs> wildest part about that sequence is it comes right after Jade's boyfriend mm. his possession which is like it it kind of shakes Jade as well as him. Yeah. Um, because when, when he's possessed, he basically says about Jade, like, I don't really like her. Yeah, like, I'm not attracted to you. She makes me soft. And then he says, you know, he likes uh, Mia mm-hmm. and starts, like, humping the floor. And, and the dog runs up and I, starts, like, he starts, like, making out yeah, with the dog. French kissing the dog and shit. And, of course, they're all recording this and laughing about it, but they're kind of shaken. And the thing I love about the montage afterwards is, like, in spite of, like, it being led up by this kind of disturbing possession scene, like, it's so alluring, nonetheless, that he comes back in yeah. the montage and does it again, even. Yeah, exactly. And and just, like, how, how like, fun and lighthearted that montage is presented and just, like, how they're all laughing and goofing about, like, the crazy shit that they're each doing while possessed. I, I just thought that was such, like, a fun clever sequence because like when they're possessed like you know their their faces get like kind of like red and purplish like almost like dead skin a little bit and their eyes like get really dark yeah they get those full black eyes yeah so uh, it's like (laughs) the limp biscuit guitarist i think oh west borland yeah 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 it's uh and it's like the makeup's pretty good there's a lot of really good makeup effects in this movie i thought um but like yeah it's like to to have something that is so like inherently disturbing that we've seen be like creepy and disturbing a couple of times just like presented so lightheartedly is like kind of disturbing in and of itself but it's also fun um i i really liked that yeah i think this whole movie kind of nails that tone where it's dark and disturbing but at the same time knows when to sprinkle in you know bits of humor of levity yeah yeah Yeah, in some really interesting ways that i that i think we'll get into um but like the sort of culmination of all of this 
is um, Riley, the little brother, like, asks to do it. And they're like, no, you're not old enough, blah, 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 all this stuff. And he, like, gets in a fight with his sister because she's, like, she's the one who's not letting him do it. And she sort of, like, storms out. And Riley goes to me and he's like, come on, it doesn't even have to be for the full 90 seconds. Like, just, like, 60 seconds. She's like, what about 50? He's like, okay, yeah, 50's fine. And they're all like, okay, yeah, you know. So give give the little boy a hit of the weed, you know. And and he's like, he's like. 14 like 13 yeah. 14 he's not like a like a child child but like yeah 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 <laughs> let, let, let the little brothers take smoke a hit this ghost. <laughs> smoke this ghost baby um but so they you know mia agrees and it's like okay that's fine we'll do it but you know immediately something is off about his possession because he starts speaking to mia with the voice of her mother and because of that, when they're like, oh, it's like it's been 50 seconds, you know, Mia's like, no, wait, don't don't stop yet. Like, I need I want to keep talking to my mom. And but then, you know, he starts Riley starts like smashing his face into the table um, and tries to like pull out his own eyeball um, and. I thought that scene was very. Uh, I loved that. Scene. Very disturbing. Uh, very intense. Uh. Yeah, it's like I've seen plenty of demonic possession movies where somebody gets possessed and smashes their face into a table. Like that is a trope for sure. Um, but I don't know. Just like something about uh, like the way that they do it in this movie. I. I. It. It's still like. It still got to me a little yeah, bit. You know, yeah, even though it's 100%. like, even though it was kind of tropey. Which well, is really well handled. Yeah, I think the two main things that kind of put it over that edge is, uh, you know, having kind of the alluring aspect of the mother being, right. you know... Uh, and how quickly that turns yeah, to something yeah. horrible, you know? Because it's very unexpected when it comes. And uh, I kind of love the way it's shot, too. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a lot of really tight close-ups and quick cuts throughout. Um yeah, it's a very it's a very intimate feeling film. Like there, a lot of it is shot in like very tight close ups. Um, really, also like really shallow depth of field too. A lot of the time, so for like most of the movie, like the background is like you know totally out of focus. Mm-hmm. It just it feels very up close and personal. And also at this point, it's our, like the relationship between Mia and Riley has already been established. Like they have you know, a very close, like, sibling-like relationship because of how, like, attached Mia is to their family. So, like, to, like, set that up in such, like, a, a like, genuine human way and then, like, inflict violence upon it is effective. Yeah. The the lead-up to it went with the first possession after, you know... Mia is saying run 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 mm-hmm. to him. He gets scared and ends up uh you know sleeping in the same bed as Mia. Um Yeah, she's sleeping in, on like the pull-out couch. 
sibling-esque way. Well, yeah, because um, he because goes scared. He goes to Jade first, his actual sister, and she's like, no, you're not sleeping with me. You're not nine anymore. And it's like, so he goes to the pullout couch where Mia is, and she's like, yeah, come on. Like, you can, we'll, we'll hang out. But also, so he's, like, scared, but he does ask her, he's like, what does it feel like? And she's like, it's amazing, you know, like, I feel like I, I felt like I was glowing, you know, I could see and hear and feel everything, but it's like I was in the passenger seat instead of the driver's seat. Like, she talks about it in, like, such an intoxicating way that he's like, okay, well, I want to try that too then. You know, I want to see what that feels like. I want to. I want to know what smoking weed is like. <laughs> <laughs> I want what's being high like. You know, <laughs> and also like that is. It, it ends up being like a big sort of through line that like Mia feels responsible for this and everyone else kind of does too because you know she she told him what the marijuana is like and then she gave him his first hit of marijuana and and you know like when he goes to the hospital too after this this horrible uh incident you know the mom thinks immediately accuses them it's like oh they gave him something you know like what drugs did you give my kid i know y'all were fucking partying and doing drugs um so again, you know, carrying on that that through line of the of the demonic possession as drugs. Yeah, he's in sort of like a semi coma, almost. Yeah, you know, once he goes to the hospital, like he's intubated and uh, he goes in and out of consciousness. Um, his face is obviously very up. fucked up. Yeah, um, horrifying. I like how kind of that complexity of Mia's character with Riley is kind of colored by a couple of the other subplots in the movie with uh, uh, Mia's mom who ended up uh, killing herself. Um, It's kind of set up in a way where Mia has a hard time letting go of it because she has a hard time accepting it. Accepting her mom would leave. Well, yeah, it's it's sort of uncertain throughout most of the movie whether her mother's death was intentional or not, you know, because they the the story because Riley asks her while they're lying in bed, like, you know, what happened to your mom? Um, And she says, like, oh, she accidentally took too many sleeping pills like my dad was sleeping on the couch So, like, the next morning when he tried to go into the bedroom, he couldn't get in and found her, like, up against the door and there were, like, scratch marks on the door and blood under her fingernails. So, you know, she was trying to get help, but she couldn't. I love how much that, how much stuff that, like, sets up with so little dialogue. It's Mm -hmm. just, like, really effective exposition that, like... She doesn't elaborate on the fact that her dad was sleeping on the couch, but why would he be sleeping on the couch other than they were fighting? Or, you know, there's there's obviously something going on. She, Mia herself, is very disconnected from her dad. For most of the movie, when we see her dad, he's always, like, either in shadow or out of focus. Like, we can never really see him very mm-hmm. well. So, it like, that distance, that separation feels palpable and just like 
how that's all set up without them having to give like a long spiel about how, oh, mom and dad had been fighting over yada yada. He'd been sleeping on the couch for a long time. Like they were always yelling and screaming at each other. You know, all of this stuff is just like, no, it's so, it's so efficient. Like it tells you everything you need to know and sets all of that up, but also is like, did she do it intentionally or not? And that becomes, like, a big, like, fulcrum point for the rest of the movie of, like, not only with Mia, but also with us, like, the audience going back and forth because it seems like there's, you know, evidence on both sides for each argument, you yeah. know? Well, and I mean, to me, it felt like that subplot really emphasizes Mia's struggle to kind of uh, accept things for the way they are and yeah. let them go um because you know later on the dad reads the suicide note and you know she just has a hard time accepting it because partially because the the kind of entities are you know sort of preying on her yeah. vulnerabilities um but we also see that kind of mirrored in early in the movie um riley and mia are driving back to uh, their house, and uh, they come across a, a kangaroo that had been injured uh, in the road. And uh, Riley basically begs Mia to put it out of its misery. Yeah. And uh, she's about to run it over, which is kind of a terrible way of putting it out of its misery. <laughs> I mean, if you can honestly, if you can get a good clean hit on it, it's probably better than any other way you can do it. Yeah. Like it's probably also damage your car though. A little yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't know. It's it's not like that big of a kangaroo. Also just like wild that in Australia kangaroo are basically just like deer. I They're know. Just, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> Australia is so fucking weird, man. <laughs> also, I must say there were multiple times in this movie where I could not quite catch lines because the Aussie accents were so thick. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, hey, I feel like we don't see a whole lot of uh, of horror movies come out of Australia, so I was happy for for something new, other than the Babadook, of course. Yeah. Um, I did see that the the Philippu brothers both have electrician credits for the Babadook. Hmm. Um, yeah, but with the but yeah, you're... with the the kangaroo kind of it's that same thing of having a hard time kind of accepting things for how they are and letting go. Yeah, well, she's she's unable to like she stop she slams on the brakes like right before she's about to run it over and yeah. then she she turns around it and Riley's like it like come on like it was crying like she's like another car will come along it's like just passing off mm -hmm. that responsibility you know she's unable to to you know commit to that to accept that and uh yeah you're right it's it's very well paralleled with the, the stuff with the mom and you know for her it's also made that much harder because she starts like seeing and speaking to her mom more you know like after you know riley is in the hospital she for, like she sees her, uh, an apparition of her mother like in the bathroom um and then later like when she when she gets back to the house you know she she like 
she has taken the hand after the, all of this, um, and she by herself like holds it and says, talk, like, Mom, talk to me, and sees her mother and asks her, she's like, did you kill yourself? And she's like, oh, no, I would never do that. I would never leave you. You know, I didn't, I didn't do it on purpose. So, like, she's also, like, being told by... I mean, what she thinks is the spirit of her mother. I think by the end, it's pretty clear that it's not, but, um, or that it is, if it is, it's, it has become malevolent, um, and that it is lying to her. Uh, but you know, especially in that scene later where she, where her dad is like, I need to share something with you. I shouldn't have been keeping this from you. Like your mom left this note and he like reads the suicide note and she's like, totally unwilling to accept that because she's like i talked to mom and mom said she didn't do it you know um so that throws both of those things into into doubt yeah and i i kind of love how they they portray that in the movie it is sort of ambiguous throughout a lot of the movie yeah like uh the the way the mother is presented is very convincing because it's so subjective through mia's yeah, you know, totally. Perspective. Even right after that, we get that excellent scene where Mia's mom tries to convince her that her dad is not actually her dad. Yeah. Um, well, she's like, yeah, I, dad just read me that suicide note. She's like, I didn't write that. He did. And it's like, oh, did the dad kill her? Did he, like, poison her with sleeping pills and, like, fake her suicide? It's like, oh, that's not your dad. And then, like, we hear the dad, like, banging on the door, like, trying to get in. He's like, he's going to hurt you. You know, you have to do something. But then we also, like, cut back to see her dad, like, sitting in the living room, like, looking in her backpack and, like, finding the hand. And it's like, it's like, oh, okay. So, like, yeah, it isn't her dad. Um, they do like, a good job introducing that, like, the things we are seeing are somewhat unreliable. Yeah. Earlier in the movie with um, the scene with a boyfriend character and her. Yeah. Um, where she sees a monster that starts <laughs> sucking his toes. That scene is, like, it is, like... The fact that it's, like, sucking his feet is funny, but also, like, the scene is done in such a way that it's, like, also really, like, spooky and, like, not funny at all. Yeah. Like, the way she, like, sits up and just, like, sees, like, that dark shape in the corner and how it slowly comes out into the light and it's just, like, this horribly, like, bloated, like, wet woman who climbs up on the bed and starts, like, sucking on uh, what's-his-face's feet. I feel like people have been, online, have been so brain-broken by foot perverts that, like, people were laughing in the theater about it. We were laughing! Us too, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we are are among those people. it's become such a thing online. Like, I've seen people online unironically censor out their feet. Yes. In pictures. And that is fucking weird to me. I'm not going to lie. That is fucking weird. Like I mean, I know I know women who sell foot pictures to randos online. Like just like not pornographic, like literally just pictures of their feet and make money off of that. That is very fucking weird. There's there are 
those dudes are out there, man. <laughs> those dudes are fucking out there. But like, yeah, it is like it's like a weird like fetish thing, but also like it's just it's so gross and horrifying in this movie. It's like it's it's that uncomfortable laughter. I'm like, this is kind of funny, but also like it's really not. Um, well, it's that same kind of tone that they nail with the the scene of the boyfriend making out with the dog. Right. You know? It's like, this is funny and they're all laughing, but like also like it's not, it's gross and weird and creepy. Yeah. I do want to talk about like the, the ghosts in this a little bit. Cause like you mentioned like that first one we see, like there were the first one that like possesses Mia that like looks like a body that's been like left floating in the water, mm-hmm. but all of the ghosts seem like they've been like floating in the water and it's like they're all like wet they're all kind of bloated they're all like bluish gray like we get some red sound design that's yes, paired with them i love the sound design in this movie i think it's fantastic like one of the more like subtle highlights of the film um but like yeah anytime there's like the ghost stuff there's like sort of like these ambient sounds of Mm -hmm. like water like sloshing and it's just like it does so much to like sort of hint that like wherever these ghosts are on like the other side it's like cold and wet Mm-hmm. And like a cave, you know, like a lake in a cave or something. Like, like even her, her mother is like wet and dripping, and it, it's just like, yeah, whatever's going on on the other side seems like really not not good or fun, you know? Yeah, I I thought the makeup and effects for that stuff was fantastic. so good. Yeah, the yeah some of the some of the best like. I feel like possession and like ghost makeup that I've seen like it really does just feel like these living corpses that have been like horribly mutilated. Yeah. Just and by, just like, like left to loaded rot. by age and rot, yeah. you know. Um, and and how much we see of them too. Like it's not just like quick flashes. It's like when the ghosts are around, they're like present, you know, in the scene and it's like yeah, it's just really really well done. There's only one that kind of bothered me. Oh, really? Oh, okay. it didn't really bother me, but uh yeah, which one? It it was very evocative of uh the the one at the very end that uh inhabits Riley's Oh, sure. uh, In the bed and the one she puts in the wheelchair. Yeah. It just reminded me so much of Freddy (laughs) Krueger. Like, it looked like Robert England almost. A little bit. Yeah, it's like a a horribly, like, desiccated old woman. Um, Yeah, kind of burned looking, too. I guess I can see that. I didn't really get the Freddy Krueger vibes. I mean... Let's just be let's just be a hundred percent honest. The makeup is so much better than any Freddy oh, Krueger I mean, movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> any any Friday the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie they've ever done. But, but let's yeah. get those makeup people on whatever you know nightmare movie they do next. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I I like um another another scene that I found like particularly horrifying is you know uh, later on Mia suggests. Well, maybe we, you know, we didn't blow out the candle 
when Riley got possessed, you know, because we were too freaked out by what was happening. So we never closed the door. So, like, what if we take the hand to the hospital and we, you know, have him hold, have him touch it and we'll close the door for real this time? Like, maybe they'll, they'll leave him alone. Because, oh, yeah, I guess what we haven't really mentioned is every time he, like, regains consciousness, he tries to kill himself mm-hmm. again. Um, there's that great scene where uh, Jade's, like, bathing him in the shower and he you know regains consciousness and bites her and then starts like slamming his head into the wall um really disturbing scene yeah 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 well and another thing that we haven't mentioned too is what they in the very first possession scene part of the rules they tell him is like is like oh yeah you know if they stay longer than 90 seconds they're gonna want to stay forever and if you die while they're in you then you're theirs forever so it's like, okay, they have gotten, there's all of these spirits that are like possessing Riley and they're trying to make him kill himself so that they can keep him, that they, that they can take his, his soul away with them. And so when they take the hand back to the hospital later, like, okay, we're going to try to close the door for real, um, you know, it, it doesn't work. And Mia's like, well, maybe I can maybe I can, like, contact his spirit if I touch the hand. You know, if I go back for one more hit, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe I can maybe I can make it right. And, you know, she's she takes a hand. She's like, Riley, talk to me. And she sees this little girl who's like, and she asks her, is like, is, you know, is there a little boy there with you? Like, and she points at him, like, is he there with you? And the little girl's like, I can show him to you. And then the little girl says, I let you in instead of the other way around. And she just gets this really like horrifying sort of nightmarish flash of like Riley being like clawed and pulled and torn just by like this mass of, you know, corpses basically. It's like a hallucinogenic montage of writhing flesh. And, like, they're, like, even, you get, like, it's very quick cut, so you get very brief moments, and at a moment, it looks like they're, like, ripping apart a baby and eating it. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's very brief, it's very dark, like, it's very quick, like, you can't... I love how it's shot. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love it, too. It's like, it's just like a glimpse of what the other side is like. And just like even further reinforces like, I, I do not want to be over there. <laughs> like, whatever the fuck is going on over there is uh, more horrible than anything you can imagine. Yeah. It's literal hell, right? Yeah. It feels like a very, like, contemporary sort of, like, cosmic horror. Yeah. Of, like, you know, in other plain yeah um, just suffering and hedonism and yeah you know excess hellraiser shit yeah exactly yeah hellraiser shit um yeah it's it's really it's really uh horrifying mia is being like told by the ghost of her mother like you know there's nothing you can do for him like you need to just put him out of his misery you know, you need to, you need to, like, end it, and, like, I'll take care of him. Like, I'll, I'll look out for him, you know. And I love this, too, because, like, at this point, 
it's like for for a good chunk of the movie, like once the shit with Riley starts happening, it feels like it's like okay, we know that Riley is possessed, and like figuring out how to get him unpossessed is sort of like you know the the through line of the movie the goal or whatever mm-hmm. and that's it's very kind of generic like the young kid possessed like how do we get him unpossessed but it's like by this point in the movie it's like okay riley is not the only one possessed mia is also possessed yeah like she she has like we know that when she first touched the hand she went a few seconds over 90 and it's like Riley has been more of the focus of, like, the really intense horror, but, like, enough is going on with Mia. It's like, okay, like, they're both possessed. Yeah, well, and to make things a little more hairy and ambiguous, like, uh, Jade, Riley's sister, implies that, like, he's getting better over time. Right. And, like, we get a little bit of exposition that implies that, like, the longer... From the time of the original possession, that time goes on, the less of a grip they have yeah. on the, the connecting body. So, as Riley is naturally getting better, like, uh, Mia is just he's getting, getting worse. way worse. Yeah. Well, and, and what's great about it, too, is that, like, the film is really entirely from Mia's perspective, so we are limited to, to like what she is experiencing Mm -hmm. so we're like told that riley is getting better but what mia is seeing is not is not that yeah and and i love that that is like we learn like we realize at a certain point that like we cannot trust mia's experience yeah and it's like there's like these these hints of like reality like trying to to like peek in at times like jade telling her on the phone it's like yeah he was conscious a little while ago and like he didn't try to kill himself like he seemed normal he seemed like himself and me is like no we have you know like i have to do something yeah. and it's like reality is like trying to get in there but we're so like mired in mia's experience that we can barely see that. Like, we can only see the horror. Yeah, that and this is, is something that I mentioned in the last episode on Perfect Blue. Like, it's really hard to do an unreliable narrator type of thing on film. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of nail it in this movie with that stuff. Yeah, and they, they do it really subtly, too, because, like, really the, the biggest indication that, like, we're fully in Mia's shoes is that we see other people like touching the hand and you know being possessed and stuff but we never ever see what they're seeing you know we only see the ghosts ever through mia's eyes and so like yeah it, it it's just like that simple solid way of being like okay this is the perspective that you the viewer are trapped in this is what you can rely on and this is what you can't um Again, without having to be heavy-handed about it. It's just good, efficient, deft storytelling. Yeah, and it takes a lot of confident filmmaking to pull that off. A lesser hand would have kind of fumbled that a bit more, yeah. but I think they really nailed it. Yeah, and, and again, like, I have not... I don't know shit about Raka Raka. I don't know what it's like at all, but, like, for, like, a first serious 
directorial debut like this film is extremely confident yeah like more than i would expect from like first time feature filmmakers again i don't know what rock rock is like so i they obviously have experience yeah. but um yeah it, it's just it's just like really strong confident storytelling mm-hmm. I guess we should talk about the ending yeah. a little bit. Mia is utterly convinced that the only way to solve all of this is to put an end to Riley's suffering. Which he couldn't do to the kangaroo earlier. Yeah. yeah. To put him out of his misery. Um, so she goes to the hospital and kind of sends Jade off to her house to distract her. She calls her beforehand and is like, hey, I need to talk to you, like, really bad. Like, come over to my house. Mm-hmm. And Jade's like, okay, I'll be there in 10. We see Jade get in the car and drive away, and we pan over, and, like, Riley's already, like, at the hospital. So she uses that to lure her away. And uh, she goes in to presumably kill Riley. And Yeah, she, uh, has, the, she has the scissors. Well, and the mother appears um, and, you know, talks about... How Mia is part of the family, you know? Yeah, they have a little bit of a reconciliation moment because she earlier sent her away because she assumed that Mia had given him some drugs or whatever. And she's like, I know there weren't any drugs. I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I was, you know, I was angry. I shouldn't have sent you away. Like, you're part of Riley's family just as much as I am. And she's, you know, like, oh, can I have a few minutes alone with him and sends the mom away? And that's when... She sees, you know, what you've alluded to earlier is, like, this sort of, like, wretched old crone spirit who's like, I'm I'm gonna take him with me! Sort of cackling <laughs> Freddy Krueger-esque yeah. figure. Yeah, uh, he's mine now, you know, and, uh... She's about to like stab him with the scissors. I don't really, I don't know, guess I know really why she doesn't do that, but, you know, she ends up putting him in a wheelchair, um, and taking him like out of the hospital, uh, to like an overpass or like under an overpass. And she's about to like push him out into traffic, um, to, to kill him, I guess. Cause again, she doesn't, maybe she doesn't have the stomach to like do the blow herself, like yeah. with the kangaroo. Um, it's like, I'm going to, you know, let, let somebody let it, the, the next car that comes along run him over. Cause I'm not going to do it. But, you know, she's she's there at the end and, and, and her mom appears and puts her hands on her shoulder and is like, you're doing the right thing. Um, you know, I'll look after him. And she says, he'll be ours forever. And that's like the switch. She remembers that being said earlier in the movie that's like, if you die with the ghost's the spirits in you or whatever, you're theirs forever. And that's when she realizes, like, oh, no, I'm actually being tricked into killing him, you know? This mm-hmm. is this is not my mom. Um, and so she throws herself out into traffic instead um, to keep herself from, from killing Riley. Pretty bad decision on her part, though, I must say, because... <laughs> Because she has consigned herself to an eternity of of torment. Um, I, I do love how they portray the scene after that. Yes. Where, uh, you know, it's shown like a, a wide shot of her from above in the, in the road. And it kind of, uh, she gets up 
and suddenly she's in the hospital. Yeah. And she's looking around and seeing Jade and the mom and Riley and the lights are going off. Yeah, well, and they're leaving the hospital too because Riley's better now. You know, he's he's healthy and ready to go home. And she sees her dad Mm -hmm. walking down the hall towards the elevator and the lights are sort of going out behind him and she chases him but doesn't get there in time and the doors close and it's like totally black and then she sees um like a candle sort of off in the distance and goes and follows it and sits down and sees like a hand being held out and she takes it and it flashes to like a room full of like teenagers or college kids or whatever and like the dude like holding her hand is like i let you in and then it cuts to credits i love that ending honestly i it's, think it's fucking bleak this yeah i think this movie i think this movie is for as much as it is about like learning to let go and accept like death and and everything like it's it also feels like pretty nihilistic yeah it's not a a happy ending there's a sort of cyclical element to it yeah like that ritual is continuing past yeah i love i love that she she is like yeah it ends with her becoming one of the spirits in the ritual like as it as it goes on but uh yeah man it's it's certainly (laughs) it's certainly not a happy ending Um, it is it's quite bleak i i hate to ask but do you think if this movie does well enough, we're going to get a sequel. Mm. They left it open-ended. I mean, yeah, there's there's certainly no reason they couldn't make a sequel. They shouldn't make a sequel. They shouldn't, um, and I hope they don't. And also, like, to A24's credit, none of the stuff that they throw their money at has like spawned any franchises. I mean, it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like they're interested in that. I feel like that's not to say the Philippou brothers can't go elsewhere and turn it into a sequel. Sequels to a 24 movies would kind of tarnish the brand. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Like say what you want about, you know, elevated horror and a 24 and like people who are into that and it being pretentious. But like, I do really appreciate that there aren't like six sequels to the witch or hereditary, you know, like like, I understand the frustration about a 24 film bro horror, I guess you could say. Yeah, sure. You know, to put it kind of bluntly, with that said, like, I like a lot of that shit. Like, give me those neon horror movies. Give I mean, me those A24 <laughs> horror movies. I mean, like, every we are... once in a while, there'll be a, a miss, but yeah. at least they're doing something original. I agree. I'd much rather take that than, you know, something from the Conjuring cinematic universe. Like The Nun too, which we <laughs> saw a new preview for. Yeah, no, hey man, I... I totally agree with you. Um, I don't know how reliable we are to say that because we are the demographic for film bro horror movies. Um, that is literally us, right? But still, I yeah, I I'm I would not like to see a sequel to this movie. <laughs> well, that's the um, thing. Like, it's easy to say we're in the audience of film bro horror movie, but the audience 
of you know our showing for this definitely didn't look like us for the most part. No, 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 no. And again, like it's not really competing with any other horror movies right now. But um, yeah, I mean, there was it was a pretty uh, it was nice to see a pretty a pretty diverse crowd. Again, yeah. like the the elderly couple who was sitting next to me. Um, you know, there were there were like a, a number of like like black families and and stuff is like it's not just like snapback white dude film bros um and it seemed like everybody was enjoying the movie too yeah there were audience react especially like when she stabs her dad in the neck with the scissors (laughs) like there are some some like very like audible audience reactions oh my god oh my god (laughs) um so yeah i mean i i think like this is opening weekend, so it's hard to say now, but I feel like this movie is going to be continue to be well received. I hope it continues to be successful. There are a lot of new horror movies coming out in the next couple of months, so it's not without competition for very long. Um but I mean, yeah, this is this is a really a really strong like feature length directorial debut from these guys, and I don't want a sequel. What I want is I, I hope that they follow in the footsteps of some of their, you know, other A24 contemporaries like Robert Eggers and Ari Aster and just go on to, like, do different, interesting things. I think there are enough of crowd pleasers that, like, I would love to see them try to put their hand on, like, a Nightmare on Elm Street movie or, like, you know, franchise horror movie that's not, like, contemporary. Yeah, you know, I I I think that could be interesting. I do feel like those kinds of directors who do like one really cool, interesting like horror film or short horror film who then get sucked into like the conjuring verse or whatever, sure. they tend to disappear. Uh and I I would not like to see that happen to these guys. Sure. That's true. I I think I I think you're right that they're sort of like less high concept arty kind of guys that like they are very capable of appealing to more mainstream mm-hmm. horror audiences yeah. while still being like good storytellers. They could be something like that. I mean, in that case, like I would say, I, I would hope they would follow in the, in the footsteps of somebody like Jordan Peele. Cause I think he's very much the same. Like he's obviously like a really good, confident storyteller, but also all of his movies have been commercial successes, yeah. mainstream yeah. successes as well. Um, so I, I think there's, I think there's a lot of room for that. Well, um, why don't you throw a rating on the end of that here? Yeah, um, I, yeah, I really like a lot about this movie. Um, it doesn't entirely dodge uh, the tropes, but it is it is like a, a a relatively like fresh and interesting take on ghosts and demonic possession and stuff like that. And I and I enjoyed it a lot. I'm gonna give it a strong four out of five. Uh, yeah, I mean. Coming out of this movie, it was easily one of my favorite horror movies of the year. Um, it's very original and inventive, um, very exciting and scary. Yeah, I thought it was great. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah, absolutely. Big, strong recommendation. Um 
Well, uh, for the two of us, that'll give an average of uh, 4.3 out of 5 um, for Talk to Me. Definitely go check it out. Yeah, this is the this is the type of movie that I think you should absolutely support and go see in the theaters. Yes, 100%. It's, um, it's, it's worth your time and it's worth your money. And man, it really does just feel like movies are back. Hell um, yeah. I yeah I just went and saw Oppenheimer last night and I thought it was great. Um, the theater was packed yesterday and today uh, for with the Barbie and the Oppenheimer crowd. Barbie doesn't look like it's for me, but like man, it's so nice to just see like a bunch. Like our theater for this was relatively full at like three o'clock on a Saturday. Like it is opening weekend, but yeah, yeah it was well, it's just it's just nice to see people at the movies it feels yeah yeah and, and like all of these fucking disney and marvel movies of this year have just fucking tanked so horribly the flash fucking wb's biggest flop ever and that's the thing and like, people are going to see real movies again well barbie is like an existing ip you know so not ultimately the most original at least it's not homogenized in style yeah like so many of the superhero movies just feel like homogenized slop you know and they feel like they're all cut from the same cloth and like they're different shades of the same color that like different shades of brown (laughs) yeah exactly um and and you know what people are fucking sick of them man they they're not making money anymore they're losing massive amounts of money and it's just it's just so vindicating something has to break with that stuff because like they are overworking visual effects artists and underpaying them and like i saw something recently <laughs> you know that show secret invasion yeah or whatever yeah they spent like a hundred or two hundred million dollars on it 220 million and they got like a hundred thousand viewers it's something like that. They spent, I think the final figure was they spent something like $200 per viewer of the show. Yeah. Which is absolutely insane. And it's got, and it's got like an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And they did, did you see the, the, literally the only thing I've actually seen of the show is the opening credits because it's AI oh, generated. AI. Oh, yeah, it God. looks, it looks terrible. Mm. And they're trying to like, it's an artistic decision because it's about non-humans hiding amongst us and the artificial, <laughs> man, to, to go off on a, on a slight tangent, I've been, revisiting um some of our like early episodes uh for the first time in a long time just to see how we've grown um and you know we've been doing this show for almost six years now which is crazy but like when we were starting this show like just to to hear us talk about it like it was really like the we were we were start like coming up to the the peak of like the Disney cultural hegemony. Yeah. And just like to hear the kind of stuff that we were talking about then and like how Marvel and Star Wars and all of this shit was just like so culturally dominant to like be at this point now, six years later, and to see that we're finally on the downturn of that yeah. and that like, again, like. The Flash is WB's, like, biggest flop in history. Like, they've never lost more money on a movie. 
to just see how excited everyone is for fucking Barbie and Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible and fucking well, Avatar 2 and yeah, Top Gun. I mean, like, all of these, like, quote-unquote lowbrow kind of thing, but, like, real fucking movies, yeah. you know? It's just, I mean, it's, shit, it's exciting. Mission Impossible has a pretty clear-cut anti-AI message. True. Here. True, Which, and I thought the new Mission Impossible was really fun. It was great. I had a great time with it was that movie. Super fun. Yeah, Tom Cruise, the CEO of movies, <laughs> President Tom, King of movies, <laughs> King of movies, and uh, and James Cameron, the American Napoleon. Yes, and we're getting Ridley Scott's Napoleon later this year. And we're also getting a new Scorsese. Honestly, new Scorsese. we're fucking eating in terms Dune, of movies. Dune 2. Dune 2. Yeah, man. We're getting a new Michael Mann movie. We're getting a new Yorgos movie. New Yorgos. Yeah, that looks really good. Yeah, man. We're, movies are back, and I, and I couldn't be more delighted. And speaking of movies being back... Uh, next week we're con- we're continuing what is what will be a pretty long run of new movies over the next couple of months, uh, and it's time finally for the hotly anticipated, long-awaited Ben Wheatley's The Meg Two. <laughs> I am so excited for this movie. The the trailer fucking sold me. The trailer had sold me. I I mean, I remember when we covered the Met, the first one several years ago and I don't think either of us thought it was great. I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun know? too. And like man, these new trailers is just like it looks so fucking stupid and I'm so excited and again for the millionth time, the fact that Ben Wheatley directed this Fucking writer-director of my favorite film of 2021, In the Earth. He made The Meg (laughs) 2. It's so funny, too, because, like, it feels... The trailer makes it feel like they're pulling inspiration from, like, Piranha. Yes. With just so many bodies on spring break and shit. Yeah, I mean, I... Well... You know, we talked about how Eli Roth was originally supposed to direct the first one, so like the lineage is there, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, it could it could end up being a stinker, but uh, I'm I must say the trailers have me very excited. Um, so join us next week for our discussion of the Meg Two. Uh, I'm excited. Um, this week's sponsor is uh take care of yourself yeah is take care of yourself make sure you stay hydrated make sure you get enough sleep uh because you could end up like our poor sweet baby boy cleveland uh who is uh suffering with uh corona virus 19 (laughs) whatever (laughs) um and and we will we pour one out for our fallen brother, and we ask yes. that you pour one out as well. All over your carpet, preferably, um, or outside. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pour, pour on your carpet so it's hard to clean up. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that'll, that'll do it for us this week. If you like the show, uh, make sure to leave us a five-star uh, review on Apple Podcasts. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. Shout out to our honorary pod boys, Sam, Zach, and Micah. Y'all are the best. Um, You can be like them and join the Patreon and get into our Discord. 
Um, I'm not, I'm going to stop plugging our, our Twitter because it doesn't fucking matter anymore. Um, that's not going to be. got to plug our X instead. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just not going to do that. Uh, follow us on Letterboxd, uh, letterboxd.com slash pod people pod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. Um, not going to plug my Twitter anymore either for the same reason, just it's not worth it. Um, instead I'm going to, I'm going to follow Ben's lead and, and give a recommendation oh, yeah. for something else I have consumed recently that I enjoyed. I'm going to recommend a book, uh, called the ruins by Scott Smith. Uh, a lot of good things. I've seen the movie. I've all, yeah, I've seen the movie. It was turned into a movie in 2008, also written by Scott Smith. Um, not as good as the book, so if you've seen the movie and you don't like it, don't let that be a turnoff. The book is really good. Uh, I would I would bigly recommend it. So that's what I'm recommending this week. I'm actually going to recommend a book as well. I just finished yes. reading uh, The Imago Sequence by uh, Laird uh, Baryon. It's a series of short stories, short horror stories, that are very cosmic horror tinged. Yes. You know, a lot of uh, the beings that exist in the cracks of darkness, the things that uh, grasp through the other side, so to speak. Fuck yeah, that sounds um, very up It's my very alley. contemporary. Um, a lot of hard-boiled, uh, tough, whiskey-drinking protagonists that kind of meet fates beyond their comprehension um I, I thought it was really great it's a pretty quick read um but a lot of good shit in there that sounds awesome i'm gonna check that out absolutely and uh yeah cleveland's not here to plug his shit but dread xp uh i played my friendly neighborhood i haven't finished it yet it's it fun good. yeah it's fun play it if you like resident evil style games with uh puppets sesame street uh yeah it's a lot of fun check that shit out so that's that's the plug on behalf of cleveland and dread xp uh but yeah i that'll that'll be it for us we'll talk to you next time (laughs) we hope you'll let us in First class seat on my lap, girl, riding comfortable, cause I know what that girl them need, New York to Haiti, I got lipstick stamps on my passport, you make it hard to leave, been around the world, don't speak the language, but your booty don't need explaining, all I really need to understand is, when you talk dirty to me, you talk dirty to me. You know the